Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and we appreciate you joining us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, a nationally known gerontologist and executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. She served as the board chair for the National Council on Aging and still serves on that board, and we're delighted to see you again. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be here, and I consider today a special day because we're going to be talking to Robert Galindo who is a family caregiver. And we talk to a lot of experts on the show, but it's always a privilege to talk to someone who's really walked the walk um, and just in their daily lives tried to make it as a professional, um, as a son, as a caregiver. So we're looking forward to speaking with him. Ten years caring for his mom. Incredible story. This is also a first for this show because we're about to showcase... The Vegetable of the Month, and oh. we haven't done that before. I wish we had an echo chamber so we could say Vegetable of the Month. Perfect. Month, maybe uh, month, Roland month. can put that in. Yeah, maybe he can. So it is, da-da-da, the cauliflower. Really? Why? <laughs> no, it's kind of like, really, the cauliflower? Although I like cauliflower. I don't know. Um, but anyway, for those of you who think cauliflower is boring, you are not up to speed in the fact that cauliflower is the new rice and flour. Um, they're chopping it up. I've seen cauliflower flour to make pizza dough, cauliflower rice. You know, there's recipes for that. You can roast cauliflower. So what you don't know about cauliflower is it is a carbohydrate substitute. And you may think... Beets bread. You may think, really, I'm going to give up carbs for cauliflower? Yes, you are. Because, you know, a regular carb has 150 calories and 34 grams of carbohydrates where a cauliflower only has 25 calories. I mean, that's like a stick of gum almost, and five grams of carbohydrates. Wow. So if you can trick your brain into thinking that that cauliflower pizza dough tastes the same as the other pizza dough, man, that is a great thing. That is perfect. That's perfect. I actually like cauliflower raw, right off the hoof. See, and I like it roasted. You know, I I've had, never tried it roasted. I had roasted cauliflower at a charity reception, oh. and it I ate all the roasted cauliflower. Nobody else was touching the cauliflower. They had waiters walking around these giant trays of cauliflower, and people kept going, no, no. I'm like, yeah, bring it on. I'm eating all the roasted cauliflower. It was delicious. Tastes like chicken? No. Tasted yummy. Like, like Kind of like you know how popcorn has a pop, yeah. you know, kind of a roasted taste to it after it pops. Well, obviously, you don't eat it when it's raw. Anyway, vegetable of the month, 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 cauliflower. How do you roast it? You put it in the oven. You put it in the oven, and you oh. can, yeah. But you don't put it on a spit, right? No, I didn't roast think so. And roast it like a chicken. It all fall apart. You put it in a roasting pan and roast it in the oven. Look it up online. I uh, bet there's well, I twenty will. recipes. I'm gonna have to try that. You are. It's very good. I'm like a little steak, about cauliflower it. steak. You've got to try it. We will try that in the house. Now, a new study, and this one truly surprised me. The difference between smoking and not exercising well this is kind of interesting because all right we know exercising is good for your health right right but, but what what does not exercise so if exercising is good for your health does that mean not exercising is not good for your health or neutral 
or neutral. But what hap- what we this study, um, and this is from uh, Time Magazine, Time Health, says that it's actually worse than smoking. So not exercising is the equivalent, um, or actually worse, gives you a worse prognosis than being hypertensive, being diabetic, or being a current smoker. Wow. So and and the other thing that they talked about in this particular article is, can you over exercise? And what they found out is, no, you can't. So what happens to the people who just go crazy, exercise all the time? They're in really good shape, and their mortality is lower. No kidding. Yeah. So it's it's not just exercise is good, and not exercising is neutral. It's not exercising have poor cardiovascular. You know, car- your your cardio is low. You can't you know huff and puff on a treadmill. If that happens, then you're actually worse off than if you had a diabetes diagnosis. Wow. So pretty. Pr- that's an intense statement. It's powerful. It's it's powerful. That's what it is. It's very. Let's powerful. see how many folks it'll get up and off the couch. I, I, you know, and getting up just to, it, because you said that getting up and off the couch is the single best thing you can do. You don't have to run, just walk. Get up off the couch. I maintain what has destroyed our health is the remote control. You are. I, it's when actually. I was a kid, it's at the other end. It's not the. It's yeah. You had, you had to actually when I was get a kid, up. You had, you had to get up. You had to walk to the TV. You had to turn that little crank to the channel you wanted. And then you had to walk back and sit down on the couch. It's it might be that because and when we were young, there were only three stations and there was really not much on. Now there's three hundred stations. There's still not much on. So turn the TV off. It's not the remote control. It's what's at the other end of it. I wrote an article years and years ago for uh, Phi Beta Kappa magazine. I was not a Phi Beta Kappa, but I wrote an article on. 300 channels of Laverne and Shirley. This was at the beginning of the cable explosion. And they're all the same. When you go through and look at 300, 400, 500 channels, there's not a lot of difference. Well, no, because it's all CSI reruns of some sort or the other. Or Law and Order. Or Law and Order, yeah. CSI, Law and Order. Um, If you're lucky, you can just watch Friends and Seinfeld ad nauseum pretty much correct yeah and they're making money off of that i wish i had been in friends or seinfeld (laughs) residuals are pretty good they are pretty good well that would make a lot of sense so finally if you're in a situation where you cannot sleep and i know a lot of people in fact we talked about this the other day on wellmed radio folks who struggle with insomnia well, they're saying now that could be a risk for atrial fibrillation, which is where you have the rapid heartbeat. Which I have. So there's there's a correlation. Do you have trouble sleeping? None of your business. Okay, so we're not going <laughs> to... No, I, a, a true story. I never had trouble sleeping, and I don't have trouble sleeping, except after my total knee replacement surgery, uh, I was on hydrocodone prescribed by a doctor, and I hated it. It triggered insomnia, and I finally just threw the bottle out and... Uh, I was able to and sleep that, and again. And then you could sleep again. Yeah, the hydrocodone makes me it's just walk into stuff. the walls. It's terrible. Well, there was a study published online in Heart Rhythm uh, this summer. Be the right magazine. And it's, it says there's a link between AFib and poor sleep. And in, in one study, the people with AFib had more frequent nighttime awakenings. They woke up more than those who didn't have the condition. And in the other study, those who had poor sleep and woke up a lot with less REM sleep, you know, that deep dreaming sleep. Yeah, the REM sleep. sleep. 
that was a predictor of who would later develop AFib. Wow. So if you have sleep can't, are having trouble sleeping and it's not related to, you know, if you're a gentleman, your prostate and having to go to the bathroom many, many times, um, it can be, uh, it's a risk factor for AFib. So we just recommend if you're having sleep problems, talk to your primary care doctor, let them know uh, just in case they need to keep an eye on you. And if you're a senior, 65 and over, you do not want to take Ambien or Benadryl. Well, there was something They're recently the in the news. Yeah, well, the Benadryl definitely, because we're talking about walking into the walls. Yes. Yes, yeah. and that's what will happen, and you will fall. So that's not a good thing. So knock that off your list. Yes. We talk a lot about caregiving on this program because we are Caregiver SOS on air. So what about caring for caregivers, self-care? Well, self-care. So this um, was an article that was recently published from Harvard Health. Um, so Harvard News, uh, they have an online newsletter, uh, and they were talking about caring for the caregiver. So they were, had five ways that you should care for yourself, and these are always good reminders for any caregiver. Uh, and the first one may be a surprise um, that self-compassion is the first thing oh. you need to do. Because, you know, as Dr. Jamie talks about, we all feel guilty. All caregivers feel like we're not doing good enough. You know, we should try more, do more, try harder. We can do it all at once, Cinderella. And without help. You know, and without help. So being compassionate to yourself, being nice to yourself, acknowledging that you're doing the best you can today, every day, um, is is really essential. Uh, the second one they recommend is that deep breathing that we also talk about, uh, where you get in a quiet place 10 minutes a day. It may have to be in your bathroom. That's a great place to meditate. Maybe the only place you have peace and quiet. Uh, but, you know, 10 minutes a day could be five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening. Or yoga. If you got yoga, that's even better. But you need to do some deep breathing because the third one is really to, to practice not just doing the deep breathing, but do yoga, tai chi, meditation, have something that gets rid of that stress. And the good news is the Harvard Medical School has a guide to yoga online. Really? So you can go online. You can. They have deep breathing exercises. So we just talked about that, and they have, um, and that's also in the the guide to yoga. So the breathing and the actual yoga exercises. And the nice thing about yoga is now you're engaging your body. You're not just doing the deep breathing. But there are some non-twisted, weird, strange positions that are really difficult. There's some, you know, they're going to build some muscle strength. They're going to challenge you some, but you don't have to get into a pretzel to be doing yoga. So that's the good news, and you're in a safe place because Harvard's going to take good care of you. Uh, you have to eat well and get your sleep. We know that sleep, 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 sleep. We just talked about not being not sleeping can be a, uh, an indicator of um, AFib. Well, not sleeping me is an indicator that you're going to be not feeling well and you're not going to be on your best as a caregiver. In fact, a lot of studies, uh, you have a son who went through med school, a lot of studies about the way they used to work, and maybe they still do, residents with very little sleep proved to be really potentially harmful to patients. Well, it still is, and they're still doing it. So that's a whole nother, I mean, just give me five minutes to revamp um, the residency program for doctors because it's ridiculous. Well, slave labor for hospitals. Well, and I don't, and, and nobody is at their best with lack of sleep. Correct. And so you certainly don't want the ER doc who's been up for 36 hours straight. Uh, and yet that's sometimes what they do. 
so beware of that. You want to get your sleep, eat well. And then the last one is not going to be a surprise. It's difficult to be socially connected when you're a caregiver. It's hard. You find friends falling off the face of the earth when you start taking care of your mom who has Alzheimer's. But a caregiver support group of new people who are also caring for their mom is great. A therapist is great. A church is great. You need to find someone that you can talk to so you can keep using your words and stay engaged. That social isolation is number one bad uh, for people in general, not just caregivers. Keep that in mind. And we talk in just a couple of moments with Robert Galindo. Robert cared for his mom for 10 plus years had a professional life, CPA, works as the finance director in the city of Alamo Heights. But in his other life, he was mom's caregiver, and he'll talk about that right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zernio. Podcasts of all of our shows are available, by the way. All you have to do is Google Caregiver SOS On Air or go to caregiversos.org, and you can track through and find these podcasts there as well. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The Answer Sundays at 6 p.m. Did you know 9 out of 10 WellMed patients would recommend WellMed to friends and family? That's what our patients said in a 2017 Press Ganey survey. We have a better approach to health. WellMed doctors specialize in keeping people on Medicare healthy so you can live your best life. The Medicare annual enrollment period is October 15th to December 7th. You deserve the best. Pick a plan that opens the door to WellMed. Learn more at wellmedfindadoctor.com. Well, as we have been promising, Robert Galindo will be joining us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. He serves as the finance director for the city of Alamo Heights, And if you didn't know the story behind the story, uh, you would have no idea that for a number of years he was caregiver for his mom. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Robert Galinda, joins us now. Robert, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Ron. It's nice to be on the air with you. Well, the last time you and I talked, uh, I asked you, uh, I was writing an article for 78209 Magazine, and I said, is there anything about you that people would be surprised to learn and you thought for a moment, and you said, well, I was caregiver for my mom for 10 years. That was a surprise. Yes. Tell us how that well, happened. Uh, well, it just happened that uh, my mom was needing uh, uh, some um, attention on a regular basis. She was in the wheelchair and uh, couldn't, couldn't be independent uh, completely. So she was uh, living with my sister um, at my uncle's house in uh, my sister was staying, taking care of my mom and my sister, and uh, one day my mom let me know that she thought uh, it was uh, getting to be too much for my sister because uh, having to take care of my uncle and her and, of course, my sister raising my niece. So um, at that time, she let me know, and uh, I said, well, you can move in with me, and she said, sure. And so that's how things started. Did you know what you were getting into when you said, yeah, Mom, you can live with me? <laughs> no. I uh, I knew a little bit, but not everything that came along with it. Uh, it's a tremendous uh, amount of work that goes into taking care of someone, uh, and I think most people most people don't realize it unless they've gone through it. Well, so you're a professional, you're working, and all of a sudden you're also taking care of your mother. How did that work in terms of your work life, having you know to take time off and care for your mom? Did how did that go? 
Well, it, it was. Um, it took a lot, a lot of coordination, just with um, making sure that whenever there were appointments uh, for the doctor or my mom, that I was uh, met with my my boss and let them know ahead of time. And there were any conflicts in the schedule, I tried to do as much as possible to resolve those conflicts. Um, and it worked out well. I had a, a good working relationship with my boss, and the environment that he provided was really well. Uh, because he knew that I was taking care of my mom, and so he understood from the beginning that um, that I may, from time to time, need to take off to help out. And he was always uh, very um, um, made it easy for me to do that. Uh, and as long as I took care of my responsibilities, he always let me take uh, time off that I needed. Now, before you had that positive work experience, you were working elsewhere where the support wasn't there for you. Well, it was getting tougher and tougher um, where I was at that uh, before I joined. I was with the city of Church when I took care of my mom most of the time. And um, before that, I was at another company, and it was just getting tougher and tougher to um, schedule appointments um, and to be able to be flexible enough for the schedule. Uh, There's nothing, nothing bad with the work environment. It was a great work environment and a good company. It's just that they were uh, not as flexible, not because they, they don't want to. It's just um, being able to switch schedules with other people. And um, so it was a, a little bit more difficult. Well, I think you bring up a really important point that you, the caregiving, you know, trying to be a caregiver and a working caregiver requires flexibility. And as far as we have come in recognizing caregivers, there is still... You know, uh, we don't have the flexible schedules that we need in the workplace. There is still um, sometimes people are denied um, promotions or they're looked down upon. You know, there's that underlying tension or current that we're letting you do it, but we don't really approve. Uh, and, And there's some discrimination against people who are trying to be caregivers and also still work. Well, I think it just depends on, on where you work at and the people that you work with. Um, sometimes people are kind of maybe a little bit closed-minded. Uh, they're not as open-minded to uh, being able to see that uh, people are willing to um, balance the work and balance uh, the, the, the life away from work. And being able to balance those three things are, uh, is possible. It just takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. Uh, being able to uh, be available uh, earlier than, you know, you can go in early, stay late, and go on on weekends, uh, work nights, whatever you need to do to make things possible. Um, I think it, it's incumbent upon the person also to uh, let their employer know that uh, they're willing to do that. We're talking with Robert Galindo, who is the finance director for the city of Alamo Heights and was a caregiver for his mom for 10 years or so. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and Robert is on our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline. Uh, Robert, once you uh, uh, went to Alamo Heights, and as you said, uh, you had talked to them really before you went to work there that you were caring for your mom and you needed some flexibility, and they they agreed to provide that for you. Uh, Did that make your life better? Well, it uh, made it uh, a lot easier uh, because uh, then you at the beginning when I interviewed for the job, and this is at the City of Shirts, uh, when this happened, uh, when I met initially for the interview, uh, I told them uh, right at the beginning that uh, why I was looking for uh, other employment, and one of the main reasons was to be able to have a little bit more flexibility in the schedule. Um, 
And so they understood that from the very beginning. And uh, my boss was very understanding and uh, easy to work with. Um, so as long as I did my part and being able to keep up with my responsibilities, um, he was always able to grab me whatever time I needed. Well, did you have to do anything at home to change the way you lived? I mean, was your, you mentioned your mother was in a wheelchair. So had, did you already know if the wheelchair would work in your house? Did you have to do any home modifications at all? <laughs> well, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. Um, when I first moved my mom, uh, she had a uh, one of those electric chairs, and I used to have carpet um, in the living room, and um, that wouldn't work. So I, I couldn't really, the chair didn't work too well, so I had to change out the floor um, to more tile and less carpet in the house. Um, and then enabled to to get her um, to and from the car in the garage. I used I had to um, a, a manual wheelchair worked a lot better than the electric chair uh, because the electric chairs are very um, heavy. Um, you need actually a lift, I guess, to take them around with you. So what worked better in our case was a manual wheelchair was lighter. Um, it was easy to to maneuver and um, easy to put in the trunk of the car and uh, take her to her appointments. Well, did you have to have any ramps built at all, or was your mom able to, like, transfer? My, uh, my mom was able to transfer a little bit, um, but we did have a, a small ramp built that was uh, uh, portable. I could uh, put it up on the uh, door going out to the, drive, to the garage. But uh, it was a little bit heavy, so most of the time I was able to maneuver the, the wheelchair, um, you know, that one step from the, from the house to the garage. Uh, so I was able to learn how to maneuver the wheelchair and um, be able to, to do that without having to, to use the ramp. It made it a little bit easier and a little bit faster. What, what, about, um, uh, what about door openings in your home? Yeah, were the doors wide enough? What? Well, the door openings, the wheelchair that we had was not as wide. Uh, some wheelchairs are wider than others, and it just happened that ours was um, more narrow. Uh, so my mom was able to go in and out uh, most of the doors without having uh, any trouble. Um, what we did help out later on is uh, uh, I had um, I had a nurse come by the house one time to see if my mom needed any assistance with anything and she noticed the the shower and she did have uh we did qualify for having some um some improvements to the shower for disabled in order for my mom to go in and out a little bit easier uh and to have um handicap uh, rails on the shower and and that was done through either uh medicare or through medicaid i can't remember what program she qualified under and so that made it a little bit easier for my mom to be able to go in and, and bathe or have a, a nurse come by and bathe her uh, from time to time. Yeah, and those, the grab bars, I know uh, my parents had the similar situation with my mother and had grab bars put into the bathroom. Those grab bars are great. It's amazing how many times, you know, you find yourself, you know, oh, just balancing a little or catching hold of that grab bar. Um, so I consider that a home improvement. Whether you think you need it or not, right? Yeah, I mean, it really is. Those are Most people do fall when they fall. I have fallen in the shower before uh, with a bad bath method. I, my Ooh. great vision, I flipped it to the wrong side so that as opposed to it sticking to the floor, it slid like, you know, I was on skis. <laughs> so those grab bars yeah, come oh, yeah. in handy. 
they're really handy and uh, really make a big difference, and um, especially for those that want to be more independent. So uh, definitely it's a big improvement. Well, I love that you talked to a nurse and you had her come by, you know, because none of us are experts. Even if we are experts, we're not experts when it comes to our own family members. And just to do that check and and see maybe something that you didn't see. Is there anything that's missing that could make life a little bit easier? I think that's also really important for our caregiver listeners you know, to not assume you're doing, I mean, you're probably doing a great job, but you may have missed something, an extra pair of eyes, another professional to come in. It's always a good idea. Now, were there other changes you had to make? You mentioned uh, when I asked you early on, uh, what was it like bringing your mom, mom in and had, had that uh, been an experience you had anticipated and, and you laughed and it was clear there were a lot of things you hadn't anticipated. As you take a look at the list of things that uh, you had to address for someone who's listening to this program now, Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Uh, what are the things that they may be surprised to learn that you can give them a heads up on? Well, I guess it's just uh, being able to be open to uh, whatever, whoever you're being a caregiver for, to listen to them and see what they need. And um, I think they pretty much tell you uh, without having to ask them what they need. If, you having, if you're having trouble um, with them being able to transfer from the bed or the wheelchair to the bed, uh, they may need some, uh, some assistance on a more regular basis. If they're able to use a walker to get around, um, they, you know, I, with my mom, she was able to do, she wanted to do as much as possible and uh, didn't want to be in the wheelchairs, um, but she had to. Um, so I, I think you're just paying attention to what they're telling you. Uh, but it is good to have somebody that does this or a professional um, to come in and, and check because I had, a, um, I had to learn how to transfer my mom from the bed to the wheelchair sometimes, and it, they're frail. Um, their bones are not as strong as they used to be. So you have to kind of handle them a certain way, and, and uh, the nurse is the one that kind of showed me what to do. All right, hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel. We're talking with Robert Galindo about caring for his mom for 10 years. This is 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Did you know 9 out of 10 WellMed patients would recommend WellMed to friends and family? That's what our patients said in a 2017 Press Ganey survey. We have a better approach to health. WellMed doctors specialize in keeping people on Medicare healthy so you can live your best life. The Medicare annual enrollment period is October 15th to December 7th. You deserve the best. Pick a plan that opens the door to WellMed. Learn more at wellmedfindadoctor.com. Thank you for listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Just thrilled to have you with us. And if you've been listening, you've been listening to the story of a man who is the finance director at the city of Alamo Heights who, uh, in his other life, was caring for his mom for 10 years or so. Uh, she finally asked him to step in after, well, he offered, but she mentioned that uh, her daughter, who was caring for her, it was proving a little bit too much, caring for an uncle as well, and she had a small child. And so Robert stood up, said, hey, I'll do this. And as you look back, Robert, uh, are there days uh, during that period of time when you said to yourself, maybe I shouldn't have said yes? 
Well, there were uh, times that, uh, yes, it seems a, a little bit overwhelming, but um, you just kind of have to be able to to go through whatever challenges there are and try to figure out ways how to, how to address them. One of the biggest um, things that I had to look at is uh, whether my mom should be going to a nursing home. So I did talk to my mom. I said, I can't be here all the time. Um, would it be better for you to be in a nursing home? And uh, my mom said, no, there's no way that I'm going to be going to a nursing home. So she, she made it definitely clear that she would rather be um, more independent with, at, at home with me than being at a nursing home. So she definitely did not want to go into a nursing home. Well, now, did you have to do all of the cooking as well? I did some of the cooking because she was able to get around in a wheelchair and be able to stand up. Um, she wasn't able to walk too much um, unless she used the walker um, to provide her uh, balance. Um, she was able to do some of the cooking, so she did uh, do some of the cooking. And so um, I didn't have to do as much cooking as, as, you know, maybe in some other cases. Well, that's that's always lucky when you have someone that can do the cooking. I know when my mother had Alzheimer's and she started mixing some very unusual ingredients, that that was a severe <laughs> blow to my father because he's never learned to cook. <laughs> now, in your case, Robert, uh, you've been living alone, cooking for yourself. Uh, maybe your mom just figured, you know what, I can do this better than he can. Well, that probably was was uh, more likely because she, of course, she wanted to be independent. She didn't want to ask for too much help. And I kind of found out later on that um, it was something that she didn't, she didn't want to put a burden on me. So she did as much as she could on her own. So I think that that's the way most people are. They don't want to be a burden to their families. So it's something that um, I think the, each case is a little bit different. Um, but I, I did find out with my mom. She wanted to be um, as much an independent person as possible. Well, I think it sounds like you did a very good job of supporting her, um, and I like the way that you include her in the decision-making. Is there anything that you wished you had known at the beginning of taking care of her that you later find at, found out? And you're going, darn, I wish I had known that. No, um, I think things worked out um, because it's just something that we um, that I wanted to do. Um, again, uh, when it was difficult for me, I did talk to my mom about, hey, um, I'm not sure that this is the best uh, thing for you to, to be here. Do you want to move to a nursing home? Uh, and that's why the only reason that they, I brought up that to her. Um, but she said, no, I definitely uh, like it here. She wanted to be there. Um, she knew that sometimes I couldn't uh, be there, of course, all the time when I was at work. But she she was she understood that uh, we were able to um, to get a nurse to come and check on my mom during certain times. My mom was in and out of the hospital uh, with um, with she did have a, a couple of toes amputated um, on one of her feet because she she did have a need to do that. I mean, it was necessary to do that. Um, so during times, I did have a nurse come and help out with that. So that was always very helpful. Uh, for a nurse to come by and check on my mom um, because uh, it is something that um, that I'm not trained for as a professional caregiver or a professional health health provider. So a nurse uh, was always very helpful and uh, someone that you could talk to and they could give you advice and maybe how to do, and do things better. 
um, at the beginning, it was just something that uh, that came up in a conversation with my mom. Uh, of course, we want to take care of each other, of our family. Um, so I, I don't know that uh, knowing something that was going to be tougher or more challenging would have been better. I might have said no <laughs> at that time, but uh, I think it, things worked out well. As you look back, did she have diabetes? She, yeah, some of the issues that my mom had with health problems with um, was that she did have diabetes. Uh, she did have um, congestive uh, heart disease. Uh, but she also had, um, in 1999, she was a, a pedestrian and was hit by uh, a vehicle. So she did have some, uh, that was the reason she had to be in a wheelchair. Wow. Um, because they did, they did break both her legs, and it took her a long time to recover from that. Um, and so that was the main reason she was in the wheelchair. So you had to help manage her diabetes. Well, that was something, yes, that I had to learn how to do and take her to the different doctors. And, of course, uh, she was very um, – my mom used to get frustrated because she had to follow a certain diet. And um, she says that, um, you know, she, my mom didn't eat a whole lot. She ate small meals, but still her diabetes was out of control. And she, my mom thought that it was because of what she was eating or how much she was eating, but it's just uh, that she had diabetes and um, – it wasn't what she was eating necessarily, or if it was too much. Well, um, how over the course of ten years um, did, was her health pretty stable, or did the demands of the caregiving increase? Was it you know more in the last few years, and or, or was it pretty stable over the ten years? No, there were times there were uh, like I said, she did have um, a few toes amputated um, because she had an accident and. Um, on her foot, um, and, you know, that caused her to have an infection. Uh, by the time we, um, you know, got her to the doctor, I said, well, it's something that it's going to continue the infection. She's already infected, and the only way we can do that is to amputate the toes and make sure we stop it from spreading. Um, so she, she would go through some um, phases where she needed more attention, uh, and that's when... Uh, after she got out of the hospital, whenever she was in the hospital, she would have uh, a nurse um, uh, come to our home to help out, either helping her with her diabetes or, in this case, when she had the toes amputated, a nurse would come by and help to make sure change the dressing, um, be able to put a wound back uh, on the on the on the on the foot to make sure it healed properly, and that made a big difference in the healing process having that wound back. Um, so I wouldn't have known about that unless the doctors would have mentioned that to me that we'll try this and see if uh, it helps with the healing process. Well, well it sounds like your mother um, had a strong spirit. I mean, that's very difficult to to lose a toe or then another toe um, and to be facing, you know, uh, recovery, long recovery from uh, being hit by a car. Uh, so she must have been fairly resilient, which which is helpful when you're caregiving. She she uh, definitely was uh, very positive. When did she pass away? Um, in 2015, um, in March uh, 2015, so that's when she passed away. What, what finally uh, was the cause of death? Well, she had some, um, uh, my mom was very, like I said, very independent, or tried to be as independent as possible. She had gotten 
Um, it started building up some um, fluids in her lungs, uh, but didn't apparently uh, she didn't want to say anything. And I was I hadn't noticed that she was seemed like she was getting um, um, ill over time. Uh, and by the time I, I noticed, um, I had the, the nurse that was coming to the house at that time uh, let me know. She says, well, I think her mom's getting weaker, and you know, I think you need to take her to the doctor and see how, how she's doing. Um, so she's the one that was very alert and let me know that it seemed like uh, she needed medical attention. Um, so when we took her to the um, hospital, that's what they diagnosed her with, diagnosed her with as uh, the fluids uh, building up in her lungs and not being able to uh, to remove the liquids effectively. So that's what eventually uh, she passed away from as a, a congestive heart failure, uh, not being able to get the fluids out from the lungs. Did um, did you ever have her enrolled in hospice? Did anybody ever talk to you about hospice? Well, at the end, uh, when she passed away, it was um, they. I knew about hospice just when hearing uh, what others had gone through, and just by general knowledge, um, seeing what the news are. Um, and when my mom uh, was in the hospital uh, the last two weeks, uh, they were they had mentioned about possibly hospice, but. Uh, she wasn't um, able to to go to hospice because she deteriorated pretty fast. Uh, so as soon as we took her home, um, she passed away right away. There's an interesting uh, challenge that lots of caregivers face, and, and in your case as well, 10 years, day in and day out, caring for your mom, and then she passes away. How, how did you deal with that loss? There was a big hole in your life. Well, that's something that I um, had already talked to my mom about, and uh, she had told me she didn't want to go through any um, any resuscitation if it was meant having to do uh, major surgery, and she didn't want to have any more amputations. Uh, so we had already kind of talked about that, so I knew what she wanted. Um, and, um, of course, it's always difficult to, to lose a parent, so, um, you know, I, I miss her a lot, but I'm uh, very grateful for the time that we spent together. That's pretty cool. And, and for those who are listening uh, who are in a similar situation, was there uh, any way you took care of yourself as well? Did you find some kind of alternative to clear your mind, to recharge your batteries? Well, uh, just trying to do as, as much as possible, trying to um, work out once in a while, um, trying to make sure that, um, you know, that from one time to time I did go out with friends. Um, I'd have some cousins in Dallas that uh, would come and visit, and they they come and visit to see my mom. And so it was always great to see them come in because my mom loved to go with them, uh, get outside, get out of the house. Uh, she wanted to not just be at home all the time. So... It was it was good for her to be able to get out, and for me also to have a, a little bit of um, respite, uh, more time. Yeah, uh, some time for myself. Yeah, I want to thank you so much for coming on with us, Robert, and uh, we wish you well. Well, thank you so much, Ron. I appreciate it. Yeah, Take thank care. you, Robert Galindo, finance director of the City of Alamo Heights, telling the story about caring for his mom over ten plus years. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Up next, Take Ten. On 9.30 a.m. The Answer with Dr. Jamie Heisman. WellMed isn't your ordinary medical group. In fact, 
Nine out of 10 WellMed patients would recommend WellMed to friends and family. That's what WellMed patients in Texas and Florida said in a 2017 Press Ganey survey. Maybe we rate so highly because we have a better approach to health. WellMed doctors specialize in keeping people on Medicare healthy. We help you feel your best so you can live your best life. Maybe it's because we give you an entire medical team dedicated to looking out for you. Maybe it's the way we treat you with respect, spend extra time with you, or how we really listen. The Medicare annual enrollment period is October 15th to December 7th. Get the care you deserve. Pick a plan that opens the door to WellMed. Discover the WellMed difference at wellmedfindadoctor.com. That's wellmedfindadoctor.com. Well, we are pleased you are with us because at the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs, we go to Take 10, where we kick around a topic of interest to caregivers and their loved ones. Joining us now on our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline, Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert on addictions and caregiving. And Carol Zerniel, our co-host, I'm Ron Aaron, and you have come up with another idea, Carol. Well, one of the tasks uh, that caregivers face that, you know, really is draining are tough decisions. And, you know, I can think of a variety of decisions that are very, very difficult. You know, the, the keeping someone at home, the bringing in outside help, the, you know, the what kind of care are we going to provide at, at end of life is a very heavy one. So, Jamie, you know, in the face of difficult decisions, you know, what do caregivers do? Well, the first thing is obviously the, the adage and the mantra to take care of oneself and take care of your own mind, body, and soul. You cannot be making tough, difficult decisions on one leg. Uh, when you're faced with difficult decisions that affect your loved one, you, you really want to know that you're doing your best and you are at your best to be able to make that. I'm not saying to be perfect. I'm saying that exactly the metaphor that I often use, don't be on one leg, be on two. Take care of your mind and your body and your soul. Uh, Self-care and self-respect is the way to go into this issue because tough decisions will come up inevitably. And if you're thinking from a place of anxiety, fear, depression, you're certainly going to come up with decisions that probably you're not going to like in the long run. Now, in your experience as a therapist, what have been the toughest decisions that folks have to deal with that really become a stumbling block? Well, we, we spoke about it, I think, last week. Uh, certainly taking the keys from a loved one is, is one of the toughest decisions at all. It, it, and things that jeopardize or give the loved one perceptions that they're losing their independence is really uh, to be something to be mindful of. Uh, to Carol's point, and really bringing somebody into the house, this is a whole new phenomenon when somebody's lived their life pretty much with autonomy, um, and now we have to bring somebody in to take care of them and how we literally interview uh, that person, if you will, with our loved one to, to find the best. Um, and, and there's a place, you know, place our loved one may, may go to that, that literally they now have to go with somebody else and somebody has to be mindful to be, be with them. All of this is really about, A, respect for our loved one and how we have it and how we deal with it, 
and as I say, self-respect for ourselves and how we determine it. Well, is there a role for the person being cared for in these tough decisions? I do believe there is. And I, I think certainly all except, I think, maybe initially the car and let's say the one we covered with guns, uh, that's one that you do, don't want to tip your hat or uh, tip your hand, if you will, to, to bring them in. Because really you want strategically to set up everything in a proper way so that there's not a room for error because you don't get a second bite of the apple and those type of decisions. But to the ones we talked about, about bringing somebody in or actually accompanying your loved one to places, uh, things like that that may experience stress in your loved one and turmoil in their life, uh, if they're cognitively able to, I would always make them a part of the tough decision-making process. I would always respect their you know, where they're at and give them the, the autonomy that they want and have them meet you 50-50. There's nothing worse than learned helplessness and us taking over their lives and their self-esteem. Well, what if they disagree with you? What if your loved one is on the complete, you really think someone needs to come into the home, and mom says, uh-uh, nobody, nobody can take care of my house. No, they're going to steal my things. Um, only you. Uh, yeah, it's only you. I, I just trust you. Uh, and that happens often, and you know that, too. We have uh, cantankerous individuals, idiosyncratic, eccentric. But even if they're not, they may not have that common sense that we see from afar. So I think those difficult decisions, I think those are done, again, more strategically together. If somebody says, uh-uh, and you know it's danger to them or there's a challenge in terms of their health care deteriorating if you don't do it, I, I literally would be strategic and get family members together or loved ones who are connected to them and have them assist. You know, interventions don't have to be this accusatory thing and, and bop, bop, I'm packing up my bags and taking it to treatment. There's very loving ways where a family can get together and urge their, their family member and alleviate their fears and stress and try to fill in those, those places where there's, there's blanks in terms of the unknown. Well, I can think of um, the respite program I used to run actually in uh, Panama City, Florida, my, you know, Lots of my heart goes out to all the people in it's the panhandle of Florida that lost so much uh, in the most recent hurricane. But I, I ran the Alzheimer's program there. Uh, and, you know, with the respite program, it was usually a, re a recalcitrant caregiver who was, no, I, you know, I don't need somebody else to care for mom or dad, even though they were in a tough shape. And so I would say, well, you don't you don't need to leave. Just um, we're going to come. I'm going to bring a, a my one of my caregiver workers over, and you stay, and I'll stay, and we'll have a conversation, and you can meet the caregiver. And so I can remember a time where I showed up with the worker, and we had we were having a nice conversation, and I think the the caregiver liked the worker that I had brought. You know, got a good vibe, and she's like, "Well, do you mind if I just run an errand?" While you're here, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll stay here with the worker. That'll be fine. Um, and so, so she ran and came back. So the next time she said, well, maybe we could try this again. And so the next time she said, well, I'll be gone for the hour. And, of course, within two weeks, she was gone for the full four hours, which we wanted her to have that time off. So sometimes it's you, what you were talking about is you do have to kind of be strategic, whether it's the person that you're caring for or the caregiver that's giving you the pushback. Uh, to kind of let them see, A, the benefit, and B, you know, it's not the bogeyman that you're bringing in the door. And then she was sold. Oh, and then she loved it. Can I have more days? Right, right. 
Uh, that's what detox works like in treatment. You know, it's, it's titrating somebody from one level to the next. And I, I love what you're saying. I mean, truly, if you got that uh, that going, uh, you got your loved one involved. Um, I do think you can desensitize them to these difficult decisions, uh, but you have to do it slowly. There has to be a great amount of self-respect for each other in this whole process, and there's got to be a lot of trust. And again, I have to say, this trust and this self-respect comes from, A, our caregivers taking care of themselves and making the right decisions, but don't, again, don't suffer from guilt. If you don't make the right decision, um, it's okay. You will, you will be able to, to get, go back to it. Well, I think that guilt is a huge issue. I was talking to a caregiver recently who still years later really regrets having to sort of trick their loved one into going into a facility, you know, where we're going to go, we're going to go visit this place, we're going to have lunch, and then they ended up, you know, having but you're to never stay coming there, home. but you never, you didn't say that, but you're never coming home. And still, it, years later, still feeling very guilty wow. about that decision. Yes. Yeah, that's happened so often, Carol. That's a pandemic issue. And I tell people, even if you promised your parents that you never put them in a nursing home, you still don't need to feel guilty if you have to. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to provide the best care you can under the circumstances for them. And it may be that this isolating, disconnected sort of way that didn't have the right support system is not. So by providing the best care, you know, you've honored their spirit. And so around that guilt, which is really pandemic and creates low self-esteem, I would always get a third party, a therapist or somebody to talk to and be able for a support group and be able to, you know, bounce this off of them. And in some way that will obviously, I think, alleviate the guilt in the long run. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zerniel, our co-host here as well. You're listening to Take 10, part of Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM the answer. Well, you mentioned um, trying to reduce the anxiety of tough decisions. So how does one go about reducing the anxiety? If I am like dreading this, and even though I've kind of laid things out, if I'm hyperventilating over, oh my gosh, we're really going to make, we're going to make this big change. You know, how do I reduce my anxiety? Well, there's a lot of ways on that one. I, the first place is I, I would be doing disservice to my field if I didn't say, again, find a safe place to talk about this anxiety, a place of, of reality or a place where somebody or a group of people can reflect back to you uh, if you're really in the world of reality or you're going down the rabbit hole in your mind and are just creating negative thoughts because you're in a negative sort of spot. Uh, so that's the first thing. Obviously, taking care of yourself through issues, things like mindfulness, meditation, staying engaged. Uh, those are all different ways and different strategies that you can face these issues. Don't do it alone because, again, the mind does strange tricks. And you don't have to be perfect. You know, if you just say, I did my best, put your head down the pillow with that mantra, that's, what you, that's, that's all you need. Well, what I'm hearing you say is address the anxiety, make the tough decisions with help. Um, and so it can be done. That's the good news. And that's the exclamation mark for this segment of Take 10. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Carol. I'm Ron Aaron. Caregiver SOS on Air comes to you on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. 
What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there.